Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unwind Your Mind. My name is Chloe Kim, and I go by she/her. And I will be co-hosting this episode with Annalisa, who also goes by she/her. And we'd like to thank the Youth Mental Health Association for supporting this podcast. So our special guest today is Megan Wynott, who goes by Day Dem. So Megan is a first-year student at Simon Fraser University, who previously graduated from Walgrove Secondary School. They are studying English and French with the goal of eventually pursuing a career in human rights law. Megan will be joining us today to talk about their mental health journey and perspective as a member of the LGBTQ plus community. Welcome, Megan. We are excited to have you speak with us today. Hi, nice to be here. I love talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like okay. everyone does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, first, would you just like to tell us a bit about how you came to identify yourself as a part of the LGBTQ plus community? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's It wasn't really as straightforward as I feel like a lot of people's stories are. I just kind of felt like something was a little off throughout my childhood, like when I, while I was in elementary school especially, because um, all my friends like had crushes on boys and I literally, I pretended to. I didn't know I was pretending at the time as much, but I definitely, looking back on it, can recognize that. Um, but yeah, I just had those ongoing feelings of being different. Uh, and then eventually I, when I ended up having um, social media, I think it was Pinterest, if I'm being honest with you, um, I sort of stumbled upon um, definitions of like what it means to be gay or to be um, a lesbian or anything like that. And I just kind of was like, oh, that's cool. And then I developed this phase where I thought I was really interested in being an ally which uh, ended up being incorrect, but yeah. Um, and then by the time I hit high school, I kind of um, stumbled upon the Pride Club and I was like, oh, maybe. Um, yeah, and then it just kind of progressed from there. Um, by grade nine, I was pretty confident with who I was. I actually ended up coming out to my family, to most of my friends. Um, that identity that I came out as at the time was bisexual, but that did change a little bit over the years to lesbian back to bi to lesbian back to bi and we're still kind of on that fluctuating kind of figuring things out so I do just generally kind of tell people yeah I'm queer it is what it is um and then the whole gender thing decided to swing itself into the equation um which made everything a little bit more complicated but I'm pretty much content with where I'm at now just kind of pulling things from both like feminine and masculine identities and just taking what I like um, hence the they them pronouns. I just think that that reflects better on sort of my whole kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So do you guys have any questions about that? I know that sometimes, um, people who don't have necessarily direct experiences can be like curious or not understand, which is totally fine and cool, but um, I don't have any questions. Um, I'm cis and hetero. So like, I can't directly relate, as you said, but I, like, also agree, like, I think both gender and sexuality are both so, like, fluid, and so I know a lot of my friends, like, felt, who are queer, um, they felt like they, like, 
felt they had to label themselves or box yeah. themselves into a label to like be part of the LGBTQ2 plus community, which I think is kind of harmful like to their mental health because like I feel like all of that stuff like you like you said, you like switch so many times. Like Yeah, I they, definitely yeah. noticed that where um there is a very big pull towards having your label, which is very helpful for some people and very valuable for some people. But for me it always kind of felt like I was like missing out because I didn't quite fit into any of them. But once I kind of recognized that I could just have that fluidity, things did become a lot easier for me, which again, isn't everyone's experience, but it was a really important part of mine. Mm -hmm. um, and also one thing I just did want to mention about the word queer, it's totally fine to use with me. That's totally mm -hmm. cool. Uh, some people who are in the community don't love it. So just make mm -hmm. sure to ask, but um, yeah, just because yeah. at some point it was a slur and now it's, kind of been reclaimed but mm -hmm. yeah definitely mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's definitely something I think we need to be more aware of and I think it's just like still evolving like I feel like mm -hmm. um gender studies and like studies in sexuality are still like evolving and it's like evolving at a very fast pace which I think is super important mm -hmm. but I think there's like a little bit of a cultural leg behind that like yeah. although academic like academics are really picking up on the literature like society hasn't really adopted all of that yet so mm -hmm. you know it's like still a constant learning process for all of us definitely uh, yeah I did just want to add if you for the purposes of this sort of whole podcast thing mm -hmm. if it's easier for you to just say the queer community instead of the lgbtq plus community that's totally cool with me just because I know it's mm -hmm. a mouthful oh yeah <laughs> it's it's I I've learned to say it pretty fast but like I know yeah, it kind of like jumbles itself to mm -hmm. um, a whole different thing um but like that kind of brings us into like the next question as well um so what were the challenges that you faced from others or internally during your experience of coming out and learning about your identity and how did this affect your mental health and I think this question is super important because I think it was just national coming out mm -hmm. day yeah, maybe week yeah. um so I think it's really pertinent to talk about right now yeah um, so personally, a lot of my challenges were more internal. Um, sorry, I'm going to yawn. Or maybe not. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, you can like feel on coming and it just doesn't happen. Um, no, uh, so my journey and the struggles that I faced were a lot more internal because most of the people around me were very cool. Um, very understanding and like accepting and did a lot of work to try and understand what I was going through. Um, but I have... The way that my identity kind of um, surfaced within me, it was at the the same time as a lot of my mental health issues started to surface as well. So that kind of got all caught up in each other. And it was a not a great cycle because I did kind of end up feeling like a bit of an outsider just because it wasn't something that a lot of the people around me related to at the time. Um, and then in addition to that, one of the few struggles that I did face externally was um, my mom, who I love dearly, who is doing her absolute best. And I have so much respect for that. Um, she did have a lot of difficulties with accepting that it wasn't just a phase or like a product of the guys around me sucking, um, which she's improving with now. I think now the thing that's more difficult for her is the fact that I look like a boy. <laughs> but um, yeah, so while those things are improving, they still did have a pretty significant impact on my mental health because when you're already kind of in a rough place, 
any little thing that sort of piles up onto that can become pretty severe. Um, but again, as I've become more, um, more confident within my own identity, within myself, uh, other people's opinions don't have as much of an impact, which in turn does help my mental health kind of stay steady. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's definitely difficult with the opinion of others that, you know, like <laughs> affect how we perceive ourselves and on top of everything that is going on in our lives. Um, so, Annalisa, do you have anything to say? <laughs> we can yeah, I wanted to, I don't know if this is like, okay, I guess on the side of the queer community, like for those who didn't have like a very accepted community, like I, from what you've said, I feel like for the most part, you have had people that support you and are trying their best, trying to reteach themselves. But for people who aren't in that type of community or don't have that type of support, like what would you say to them or what would you recommend to them? Um, One thing that I always do find incredibly helpful and that I always do recommend when possible is generally, um, even if the vast majority of the community around you isn't accepting, you can, you, you usually have at least one or two people who are. And I find that just spending as much time with the people who affirm your identity as possible can be super helpful because, um, yeah, like a lot of the people around me were super accepting and great. There were some who weren't and just like, you have to be able to recognize when the people who you're around um, are doing more to harm you than to improve your situation. And it's a very difficult thing to do because cutting people out of your life is very hard and um, you can often feel guilty about doing that. But um, I think being able to recognize that you have to do some things like that to take care of yourself is very important. Um, And if you can't, if you have difficulty finding um, people around you who are accepting, um, finding positive representation in media or online can be helpful as well. Watching shows that portray queer folks as um, fully like as like fulfilled human beings as people who are like deserving of love Mm -hmm. is also very helpful because even if you don't have that in the moment it gives you hope for the future kind of thing um yeah but in general I would say that most people or at least maybe this is just my hope most people are able to find at least one or two people in their real life who are willing to um be there for them and accept them Mm -hmm. yeah, being close to those people is invaluable. Yeah, I think having those one or two people, like you don't need like quality over quantity, right? Yeah. Um, but I think it's just, I think in different regions and different communities, it's yeah, like the culture is a lot different. And especially I think for teenagers and adolescents, it's really hard. Like high school is really hard. Middle school is really hard. I feel like kids are so mean. Mm-hmm. Um so it's a lot harder to find people who are accepting during that age and I feel like as a society we just need to do better like as you said finding good role models in media and like watching films and tv shows but at the same time sometimes media doesn't do the best at portraying like yeah (laughs) like good um, role models either or like maybe it's like good but like could be a lot better yeah um, so I think 
there's always like a downside to something. Um, and I think we need to do just, just do better. And it's really hard because, you know, like it's kind of hard for one person to change everything, but yeah. that's something that I think everyone needs to be aware of too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and thank you for your insight on that. It's been, yeah. it was a really, okay, gosh, you can edit this out. Okay. Okay. So, um, so along the lines of finding, you said, even having one or two people can provide an invaluable experience through a support system. Um, we would just like, we were wondering about how you find the response or behavior of the general community towards the queer community today. For example, um, what would you say about like your school or just like <laughs> um, others in general? Yeah, well, Annalisa actually did touch on something that I wanted to mention, which is that uh, obviously, depending on where you live and the sort of community that you're surrounded by, it can be, there's a huge variation of, you know, reactions towards um, people who are part of the queer community or, you know, any number of things. But um, one thing I did want to touch on, even though this is going to be a bit of a downer, uh, is that it's still illegal to be gay in 70 countries and punishable by death in 12. So anything that I say about the community that I've experienced being positive doesn't necessarily apply worldwide. And even though that is very saddening, at least I know that it is for me, um, and I would assume it is for you as well, because people are being killed. Um, I think it's important to recognize because no matter how many, you know, sort of negative things I experience here, I'm still extremely privileged to be able to express myself in any way that I do. Um, uh, So I'm just gonna leave that there. Um, But as far as the community that I've been surrounded by, um, especially in high school and now moving into university, I would say that um, just as someone who knows a lot about queer history and the way that we've been treated in the past, it's getting better, which is good. And I'm super happy about it, but it's also just the homophobia and the transphobia are just more subtle now. Like, instead of blatant hatred, for me anyway, or, like, being um, bullied, um, it's just kind of little comments like, oh, I'm fine with you being a lesbian, but just, like, don't hit on me, lol. Or um, I just don't agree with it in terms of, like, you know, talking to people about gay marriage or about, like, queer people being in relationships. Like, oh, they can do whatever they want, but I just don't agree with it. But I'm not homophobic. I just don't agree with it. And so, you know, there are, have definitely been improvements. And I don't want to shortchange that. It, I'm so happy that I can, like, walk down the street holding hands with a girl and, like, not be assaulted. But I also know that we still have a long ways to go. Um, but I'm cautiously optimistic um, because, you know, in terms of high school, I didn't have that many negative experiences. Um, and most of them were, I think, fueled more out of ignorance than out of, um, like, cruelty. Um, like, in grade eight and nine, there were times when I was called a couple of names that I won't repeat just because there's really no point. Um, just some transphobic, specifically, names. Um, uh, but I think that was mostly just... I think in high school especially and in middle school, the reason that we do have so much 
difficulty um, accepting people who are different is just because we don't know. We have that ignorance, like we don't understand and that's scary. And I think that that persists because, you know, even into adulthood, because people just don't know, like they don't have any understanding of what the queer community is or why some people dress differently. And I think that sometimes when people get scared of these new things, they can become um, a little bit more confrontational about it in a negative way. Um, So I did have some experiences with that. But overall, I actually have had a lot of even um, straight cis folks around me just kind of express that they're proud of me for being able to be who I am. And that always kind of, you know, hits me in the heart because it does make me does make me happy to see people who appreciate um, even when they're not part of the community, who can appreciate people expressing themselves and being who they are. And like, you know, does that make sense? Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I did want to point out, it did make me, like, it did break my heart a little that you were like, oh, I'm, like, so privileged. Like, it shouldn't be a privilege. It should be, like, literally, I know you're trying yeah. to be a human right yeah. here, so, but it should be a human right to, like, lo- love who you love. Like, it shouldn't, like, be who you want to be. Like, it shouldn't be something where I'm like, oh, I'm lucky to be able to express who I am uh, publicly without being murdered or stoned to death. Yeah. Like, that shouldn't be something we have to say. Yeah, mm-hmm. and just like how you mentioned um like how in some countries there is still that mistreatment just like <laughs> it's so hard yeah it really mm-hmm. is um, yeah. yeah yeah and it's like yeah it's really difficult to even try to imagine changing that like as a civilian like what can you do like mm-hmm petitions only go so far so I'm really glad that you're pursuing human rights and like you are you do identify as queer because I think it's different when like you are part of the community and you're also an advocate like you have such a deeper understanding for the issues than someone who is cis and hetero so I'm really glad that you're pursuing that thank you yeah Um, So kind of like bouncing off of what Chloe kind of mentioned, but, um, and you have, no, like you you aren't obligated to teach us like how to be an ally, but like our next question is kind of like, um, how would we become more approachable or accepting to to those who do identify as like LGBTQ2 plus? Um, And like how, and if we are already an ally, how do we become a better ally like where where should someone start if they want to like start like reteaching themselves yeah um you mentioned the two s which is two spirit which i can't necessarily speak on because i'm not first nations but i think in general just overarching theme of being an ally is just ongoingly challenging the prejudice that is kind of built into the society that surrounds us um and putting in the work um one really cheesy thing that I say when I present to kids is that ally is a verb. It's not something that you just become. It's work that you do. And then, yeah, you know, it's something that you kind of, it's something that you earn, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be open to learning and continuing to listen to the people who are at a disadvantage and who are telling you what they need or, um, you know, what they're going through. 
And so I think that um, as long as you're open to admitting that sometimes, you know, you're going to make mistakes and admitting that um, there's things you can do to be better, I think you'll be okay. Um, overall, it's just a matter of empathy and of doing your best. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not easy, but the work, once you kind of get used to putting it in, um, it does become easier and it does um, mean the world to the queer people and other um, minorities surrounding you. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think that's so valid. And it's a difficult question to answer because it could be different for yeah. so many different people. Um, but something I've noticed from people, and this isn't just specific to the LGBTQ2 plus community, it's like to any marginalized minority group, but it's like they're scared to s start learning because they're scared of doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to those people? Like, I think people are scared of like, and to bring this in, it's also they're scared of being canceled, like cancel yeah. culture. So what would you say to those people? Um, in general, like I said, um, we're all human. Making mistakes is natural. Um, it happens. It's going to happen um, regardless of how careful you are, regardless of how good of a person you are. Making mistakes isn't reflective of, you know, of your value or of whether or not you're a good person, it just happens. And I think that as long as you are aware when mistakes happen and that you listen to people, when you know they tell you like, hey, um, this is incorrect, or hey, this is an assumption that you made, but it's not necessarily accurate or it's harmful. As long as you listen to people when they tell you those things, um, and you commit to improving and you commit to, you know, to kind of taking that constructive criticism into, um, you know, kind of into yourself and like working on it. I think you'll, I think you'll be okay. And I think cancel culture sucks, honestly, because it does make people afraid to make mistakes. And, um, you know, obviously it's a different thing if you make a mistake and are called on it and then continue to do the same thing. I think that's completely different. But if you make one mistake um, and apologize and genuinely want to do better, um, I don't think you need to be afraid of being canceled because, um, you know, like I said, you're doing your best and that's all anyone can ask from you. Mm -hmm. As long as you genuinely have other people's best interests at heart I don't think anyone can blame you for messing that up sometimes because like I said it's it's just human nature we're mm -hmm. not perfect yeah that's I think a lot of people need to hear that because they're just scared and that's been the general consensus of from people that I've talked to about like minority groups and I think it's also a more societal like human nature kind of thing to be become defensive when you get constructive feedback back like even just getting constructive feedback on an essay like people start to defend themselves so I think it's just a matter of also detaching your well not detaching completely but like kind of separating those two things like mm -hmm. just because I made a mistake does not mean I'm like a shitty person yeah, like if you continue to make those mistakes maybe but like yeah, you definitely have to be able to separate, you know, kind of your actions from your own self-worth because those things are definitely intertwined, but they're not necessarily, you know, um, causational. Like if you do 
one bad thing, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. I think that's something that a lot of people, you're right, do need to kind of hear and do need to internalize. Yeah. And like how we can learn from that and to like get ourselves to do better. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing that uh, we do in my program, we really um, love to do feedback. And something that I learned in first year is that we use the word constructive criticism a lot. And by using the word criticism, it kind of turns it into a negative thing. So we call it things like feedback or like, um, what was it? Like grow and glow, like you grow from it, you glow from it kind of thing. Like it's a learning opportunity. It's not like a flaw. It's something where you learn from. So I think it's reframing that mindset from, oh, like they're not attacking me. It's just like they're pointing something out and maybe I should learn from it. I'm just going to say, I think honestly that um, making those mistakes can genuinely be a good thing because it becomes, you know, instead of just something that, you know, kind of exists within you, like a prejudice that you have that you haven't acknowledged yet or, you know, just kind of an assumption that you make, I think it becomes something actionable then when you make a mistake and have other people sort of, you know, give you that feedback. Um, So I think honestly... Making mistakes is, it, it's not great all the time, but it can be uh, depending on how you act on it. That's just a lot mm-hmm. I want to add. For sure. And like on the opposite side of kind of like negativity, like how do we respond or act to those who think negatively of a person um, who identifies as LGBTQ or how like if someone makes a derogatory or prejudiced comment towards someone, who identifies as queer like how exactly do you like I think a lot of people are so scared of like Mm -hmm. standing up and being outspoken but like how would you recommend that someone whether they identify as part of the community or someone who is an ally respond Mm -hmm. to that situation yeah there are a couple different situations that kind of come to mind with this question and a couple of different types of people that, you know, depending on the type of person who's saying these things, the way you have to, you know, respond uh, becomes different. So, for example, if you can tell that it's just someone who doesn't know any better, um, I think gen- generally um, just talking to them outside of the group, because if you confront someone in front of a group of their peers, they're going to get defensive because they don't want to seem like an idiot and they don't want to seem like a, you know, a terrible person. So just kind of, if you're in like a, for example, um, like a study group, just pulling them aside after and saying like, hey, um, I know that this like maybe isn't something you've interacted with before, or like, I know this isn't something that you may have perceived as hurtful, but when you say this thing, um, you know, that's not great. And just pulling them aside after, and then more likely than not, they just won't say it again. Um, Or they'll do their best not to, or at the very least, they'll think about it. Um, which I think that's the best possible outcome. Um, That's probably the easiest form of not confrontation, but like interaction to do with this um, situation. On the other hand, you also have people who are just looking to get a rise out of you. um, And everyone's kind of come into contact with these people, people who just say, you know, terrible things because they know that um, people will react and they just want to get that, you know, reaction out of you. I think that with those type of people, putting in the emotional labor to call them out generally, and I know this is like 
pessimistic, but generally it doesn't do anything because they know that what they're saying is harmful. They're just saying it because they want that, you know, that attention basically. And I think, again, if you pull them aside out of the group and just say, hey, this is a really harmful thing to say. I don't know if you know, but please, at the very least, don't say it around me because it makes me uncomfortable. And I think that um, if you feel safe doing that, that's a great way to react. And if they continue to make those remarks, at the very least, you tried. Um, one of the big things with you know, confronting people or talking to them about prejudice Make sure you feel safe first, especially if you're part of the queer community. But even if you're not, um, this is something that I always used to reinforce when I led Pride Club at Grove. Uh, just make sure you feel safe before you do anything, because if you don't, you aren't in a place where you can help anyone because you're not okay with yourself at that moment. Just take care of yourself first, basically. Um, and then the third sort of thing is when it's not an individual person, but it's a whole group that's kind of, you know, feeding off itself and becoming negative. You know, I think when you're interacting with such a sort of vague and I don't want to say om omnipotent because I feel like that's not the best word to use here. But when you're, react when you're interacting with something that's so powerful and so like, so large and so like above you in a way, it's very difficult to make lasting change. And I feel like in those sort of scenarios, just having that knowledge that there's this negative aspect. But I think that as long as you know, and as long as you're working within yourself to be accepting, you know, I think you're doing okay. You're doing your best. Um, and in any sort of, you know, scenario like that, where you're interacting with a group that you know isn't super attracting to queer people, if you yourself you know, if you're talking about someone and you use their proper pronouns, even though the rest of the group isn't going to, um, that's still something. And, you know, maybe over time, at least the people around you will sort of pick up on that and maybe become better. Um, but again, I think that's sort of the best thing you can hope for. Mm -hmm. You know, being a safe space within a not so safe space. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. And I'm glad you shared that. Um, I think as just like I've been in a situation with person number two, they would never be outrightly homophobic or transphobic, but they'll say it to you or in their friend group. Yeah. And I think that's like the most damaging thing. Like the, the fact that they can go out and pretend that they care about everyone. And it's, that just makes me so sad because mm -hmm. no matter what you say or do to those type of people, they're just going to continue yeah. being damaging Mm -hmm. and no one will ever know it like society will never know it and these people might go into positions of power or authority and I think that's so scary and again like cancel culture is not the best but it makes me so scared to like you know almost speak out mm -hmm. because it's like oh what proof do I have you know yeah um so I'm glad you kind of talked about that uh but I think I just want to say that like if any of your friends ever say something like a microaggression and like they're seeing it as a joke, like you should still call them out on it, even if they think it's like funny, because often jokes kind of turn into reality. That's true. And 
you know what? There were some times where I regret not being more outspoken because I was so scared. But looking at where those people are at now and they're in positions of authority, I really regret like not teaching them better. Yeah, even like just jokes. I hear so many like jokes that involve microaggression, like in the hallways, even at school, which is kind of disheartening to see. Um, Yeah, so along the lines of how we talked about um, how everyone, how we we definitely agree that there's so many improvements Mm -hmm. and that we need to see and how we just need to do generally better in accepting um, queer community just as a just as a whole. Um, so we were just wondering, are there kind of along the lines of that, but do you have any changes that you specifically hope to see in the future that in order to support the queer community? Yeah, absolutely I do. Uh, this is something that actually I do spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, uh, especially because I do want to go into law, especially, um, I almost said queer rights law, human rights law, um, potentially within, you know, sort of a governmental body kind of um, environment. Um, I think that, um, you know, we have to um, give thought to the changes that we want to see or else we can't really help make them happen. Um, But for me, I think just in general, and this is a theme with me, I just really want to see more widespread knowledge and willingness to learn, because I think that that's absolutely invaluable and that, um, you know, becoming more knowledgeable knowledgeable about a thing does feed into becoming more accepting of it. Um, And I think specifically, um, something that's actionable, that's doable is, um, there are a couple sort of aspects of this, but having... um, education about queer existence in schools, even things as little as like, you know, kids' books in elementary schools that have um, two moms or that have two dads or that have, you know, a little kid that starts the book in like all female clothes and a female sort of experience and then ends the book in a more masculine sort of vibe. I think that kids, because, you know, we see this all the time, little kids who sort of begin to not begin to transition necessarily medically or hormonally but begin to you know wear clothes that are traditionally associated with a different gender and i think that you know kids can begin to see that very early but if they don't have um a way to identify those feelings it does become that sort of i'm weird no one's gonna like me i'm different and that's bad but if you can read a book and see oh this character's like me that becomes really exciting then and you can identify those feelings and it makes things easier. And so even if it's not explicit, like this is gay or this is trans, being able to you know see that it's absolutely invaluable for kids. And that's something that I've learned and become passionate about. Um, moving forward from that in high schools, um, including queer people in sex ed, I think is very important. And I've actually talked to people on the school board about this and they honestly, um, what, I'm not going to name names because I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. But what they said to me was, um, yeah, honestly, I don't think people are against queer people being in sex ed in schools. I think they just forgot that we did it. And so when we said we were going to include queer people, they were like, you're teaching my kids about sex, which I thought was kind of funny because the parents just forgot that that was a thing. And they were like, well, yeah, we're 
include queer people. And they were like, you're going to what? But yeah. So I think um, that was a fun little tangent. I think that including queer people in sex ed in schools is very important as well, because a lot of um, queer youth, um, especially that I know and people who I've even been friends with, um, just kind of think they're invincible in terms of sex. And that's not true. And um, you know, if more widespread knowledge was had about that, a lot of, you know, preventable, you know, STIs and even just bad experiences, including abusive relationships or consent, um, issues could be avoided. Uh, so I think that's very important as well. And, you know, even things just as little as teachers in schools and like employers asking about pronouns would be so good. And like, cause I know when I apply for even scholarships or if I'm like emailing someone, if they ask for my pronouns, it makes me instantly feel more comfortable and instantly feel like, oh, this person genuinely cares about me. So I think if that was more widespread. That would be a huge improvement. Um, more generally, I think that, um, you know, more representation in media, more positive representation where it's not just queer people who end up, you know, like dying at the end of the movie or like they have one scene where they kiss someone of the same gender and it's like, well, that's a whole lot of nothing. Um, I think, you know, like, obviously media is fueled by where the money is. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of countries still where being queer isn't accepted. And so if you have a movie where there is a character that's prominently not straight, not cis, you're going to make less money in those places. And so, you know, uh, I think that if maybe capitalism was a little less prominent, maybe that would be better. But also you can cut that out because that was very um, off topic. But, you know, that was happening. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, I think that, you know, if people were able to see themselves in media, that would be huge. That would be like, because even adults who, you know, are part of the community sometimes feel like there's something wrong with them, especially, you know, you see this in asexual aromantic people where they just have no representation. So they grow up thinking there's something wrong with them. And I wish that that was, you know, a better experience because it's just another identity. It's just another experience and, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. So why can't they see it? Um, but yeah. Do you guys have any questions, suggestions, comments? Because I have been talking for a long time and I do need some water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's totally fine. I think everything you recommended and everything you like kind of pictured is just so inspiring and I really hope that all happens. And then I also wanted to comment on representation because an example just came into my mind that like good queer role models need, like they need to be good and they need to be like, um, consulted on by like the LGBTQ yes, two plus community because a lot of um, lesbian or like the the one I'm thinking of in particular she was lesbian but she was portrayed as a butch lesbian and it kind of plays into like the stereotype of lesbians and I was like but that's not what all lesbians look like that's not how all lesbians like act and she was like just portrayed in like almost a negative light like kind of like lazy like the man of the house like kind of thing and I was like that's not a positive role model even though they're trying yeah and um, this was like this was a show done by like a Canadian company and I was just like we could do better you know like 
kind of sucks um, that it came out locally, but yeah, I just wanted to point that out. Like a lot of it caters to the straight community, which isn't the point. Yeah, if I can just touch on that, actually, I do find that that's a big issue within media, especially media that tries to include um, LGBT characters is, you know, we see a lot of um, effeminate white gay men and we see a lot of, a lot, well, not as much, but either it's two very feminine women, you know, attracted to each other in a very, like, over-sexualized, this is for the male gaze, light, or, like you said, it's a butch lesbian woman who is seen as, like, predatory and, um, you know, just, like, a not a good person, but, you know, sh- we, yeah. And yeah. that, that, um stereotype especially is one that's been very harmful for me um the predatory lesbian trope um because i do have a very difficult time uh, interacting and talking to and making friends with straight women because i'm always scared that like they're gonna be you know they're gonna be scared of me um and even in high school after i came out like i would change in i wouldn't change in the locker room i would change in like the bathroom and then walk down the stairs to the gym and like it was just inconvenient and like not fun and you know Mm. like there's a certain level of like community that happens in like girls locker rooms where like you chat about school and like whatever and I just never experienced that because I was scared that I was going to make people uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and even now like when I'm actually talking to girls I'm interested in I'm still like I have to hold back because otherwise I'm going to be like feeding into that trope and I don't want to do that and you know it does it becomes very harmful in a very like visceral way for people in their actual lives and I think that that's very similar with, um, not that I can speak on this, but based off what I've heard from my queer male friends, you know, seeing that it's only very effeminate, you know, gay guys in the media, that becomes harmful as well, because not all gay guys do act like that. Some of them are, like, very masculine. They play sports. They do all those things that we can traditionally, you know, relate with straight men. Mm-hmm. And so it often leads to people becoming or acting or pretending like they're something they're not just because they feel like that's the only way they can fit in as like acting like their identity. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that's my little uh, comment. Um. I love that. That was honestly such an amazing talk. I I know everything you said was so inspiring and there's like just hearing from you again, like just confirms the need that there's there's little things that we can like do like right now everyone even like the little children or students um just by even starting with saying our pronouns asking if they're comfortable as well as societal changes that um we hope to envision just to make our community more welcoming for all which should be given because it's just yeah like I'm (laughs) it's so heartbreaking to see how people can't really still express themselves or be accepted but it's just something we need to work on (laughs) I think that um this is something that I've tried to you know enact in my own life as much as possible but I think that the more that you can do to make yourself a safe space for the people who are at a disadvantage around you better, no matter what the environment around you is like, the more accepting and opening and welcome you can be, um, you know, the better an impact you're going to have on those people. So, you know, yeah, asking people for their pronouns is great. 
remind the queer folks in your life that you love and accept them. Um, it means a lot. Uh, just be kind. Um, do your best to make people feel safe. Yeah, but thank you, Megan, for yeah, showing up, so talking, much. and sharing, and teaching. Even though you didn't have to do any of that, like everything you said was amazing. But thank yeah. you for coming onto the podcast. Yeah, thank and you for Thanks for listening to Unwind Your Mind with our guest Megan Wynott and my co-host Chloe. If you want to learn more about Unwind Your Mind or the Youth Mental Health Association, you can find us at YMH Association on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis or a non-emergent issue, please contact 911 if it is an emergency or the supportive hotlines that we will put in the description. Again, thanks for listening and taking the time to unwind.